Hello, it is Sunday, March 14th. I am Trent Linesmith, and this is the post-UFC Vegas 21 fight card recap, wrap-up, whatever you want to call it. It's after Saturday's event, and I'm going to talk about Saturday's event, which was headlined by Leon Edwards versus Bilal Muhammad. And I'm probably going to look at uh, close to every fight. So if you hear that paper, that's my notes. Just bear with me. I have no memory. So, notes are a must. First fight, uh, Matthew Selmsberger and Jason Witt at welterweight. Um, if you want to see how to counter calf kicks, probably not the fight to watch because these weren't real. Uh, they weren't real calf kicks from Jason Witt. They were slow. They were telegraphed. And there was no defense. There was no setup. So he threw these calf kicks sloppy. And he threw one. Landed it. Threw a second. Landed it. But the comeback from Sullenberger was a, a knockout blow. So if you want to know how to throw a calf kick. You know, set it up for one. Throw it quickly for two. And always keep your defenses up. Very good. Good performance from Sullenberger, 16-second KO, got himself a bonus. Said he was disappointed in his UFC debut, which he took on short notice. Nothing to be disappointed about in, in his second UFC fight. That is for sure. Jinyu Fry and Gloria DePaulo. I'm kind of confused. Was kind of confused by this fight. Uh, Fry won. DePaulo could have won. It was 1-1 going into the third. I think. DePaulo lost the fight more than Fry won the fight because it was clearly Fry on the ground, DePaulo on, on the feet. And going into the third round, DePaulo had a fight off a... I'm sorry, Fry had... Yeah, DePaulo had a fight off a takedown attempt after she threw a body kick and Fry caught it. She was able to do so in the second round. But in the third round, the advice from her corner should have been do whatever you need to do to stay on your feet, which means don't throw kicks that she can catch. If you're going to throw a kick, throw a low leg kick. Very low, like ankle low. Because if you give Fry, if you give her that opportunity, she was going to catch it and try, and try to get a takedown. She did that in the third round, and that was the difference. Had DePaula not thrown that kick, probably would have won the fight because... Fry had no answer for the striking. So, yeah, so, like I said, DePaulo probably gave that away more than Fry won it. Next up, hold on, I messed this up. J.J. Aldrich and Courtney Casey. I think there was some controversy here. A lot of people thought that Casey won. I, I didn't really score this one, but I think the difference in this was that Casey started out very fast and... By the third round, her aggression had, had died off a little bit. I think had she been as aggressive in the in the second and third round as she was in the first, she probably would have won. The takedowns seemed to sap a little bit of her energy or her will or whatever, but they sapped a little bit from her end. I think the takedowns were the difference in 
Casey keeping up ahead of steam, and I think that cost her. Uh, I think that cost her the fight. Nazrat Hackparast and Rafa Garcia. Uh, Nazrat is someone you want to watch out for in the lightweight division. He he's solid southpaw. His combinations were great. His uppercut, um, fantastic. His pace, fantastic. Just a very, very good performance from him, and I think he's someone you really want to watch out on. Um, keep an eye on him. He is someone that could do some damage, but I think he's got some time to develop, and I don't want to see the UFC push him because he's in the uh, he's in the lightweight division. No reason to push him up as, as fast as the UFC usually does. So give give him some time to develop. Um, and I think he is going to be someone that could could do some damage. Like I said, definitely something to keep an eye on, though, to see his development. Ronnie Yaya, Ray Rodriguez. Ronnie Yaya did Ronnie Yaya things. And uh, if you're on the mat with him and you make a mistake, you're going to pay for that mistake. And that's what Ray Rodriguez learned. Which, he, I mean, if you've been around for any amount of time, you know that Yaya is not going to I mean, he'll strike with you, but his strikes are just there to get a takedown and then make you pay and just uh, grind you out and wait for you to make an error, and then you're tapping. And that's what happened here. Charles Jordan and Marcelo Rojo. Um, if there was a robbery as far as bonuses, this was it. There was no fight of the night bonus this contest definitely deserved that these guys gave it their all um what impressed me most about jordan was that i think his corner had told him between the second and third that he might be behind and his response was that he wanted to be a champion in the ufc and this fight was not going to change that this wasn't going to be the end of that and he went out there and put it in a different gear for the third round he if he was losing he didn't let it get to the scorecards. Um, he was just brutal in that third round. Everything he did was fantastic. He he. That's not something you can teach. That's just a will and a, your ability to just kick it up a notch. Not everybody has that. You see this kind of thing in in like in hockey mostly when teams just transform in the playoffs and I would think that this is kind of a playoff situation if you want to compare um, for Jordan he was according to his team close to losing and he just went out there and said all right I need to kick it up he did so um, he remains uh, I, I don't know what his record is let me check so he oh he's not unbeaten but he is someone who has, oh, that's right. He remains um, in his wins. All his wins have been by um, a finish, and he kept up that streak. So he is 25. Um, again, someone to keep an eye on. But what I saw in the third round and between the second and third from him is something that is not in every fighter, and it's not in every person. You can... You can either you have that or you not or you don't, and Jordan showed that he has it. So definitely someone to watch. Uh, very impressive what he did in the third round. Especially impressive was his ability to um, 
throw the ground strikes and do the uh, the showtime off the cage to the ground and pound was you know also pretty impressive so Charles Jordan, definitely someone to watch. Angela Hill, Ashley Yoder. Going into this fight, Hill had said that whenever she got on a roll or whenever things were going her way, something would, would happen um, bad. And I think what happened bad in her last two fights, her, her two most recent fights, were split decision losses. And she came out here and just put it on Ashley Yoder. Won 30-27 on all three cards. Got taken down a couple times, but... Um, Yoder wasn't able to do much with those takedowns. One of the early takedowns was mostly a survival takedown. The third round takedown, I think it was the third round. Um, she just had, she didn't, didn't turn it into anything offensive. And then it was Hill's fight. So a good bounce back. Angela Hill is a popular fighter and it was good to see her get a win here and get back in the win column and, and uh, Michael Bisping during the broadcast said that this was probably Hill's best performance. It, you can argue that or not, but she is she ended a, a skid and looked good doing so. So I would expect her to get a higher ranked opponent in this one, see if she can you know keep this going now and avoid the trap of something bad happening whenever she gets uh, some forward momentum. Eric Anders and Darren Stewart. I, Darren Stewart took the early lead in this fight, but then it, it kind of seemed, and I know it only lasted one round, but it kind of seemed that he thought his striking was doing more damage than it actually was. And that allowed Anders to get back in the fight for at least a little while. And then there was the illegal knee. Um, what, what bothered me about this fight was not so much the fight, what was the commentary and it was incredibly unprofessional, especially coming off what happened last week. Now, if, if the Petrion fight had not ended in a illegal knee, which was confusing at the time to, um, it was Anik, Rogan and Cormier, then I would be a little more forgiving of this fight. But the broadcast team, uh, which Cormier was a part of again and Bisping and um, I forget who else it was. But there was a lot of confusion as to what the rules were. And that should not have happened. Because if you didn't know what happened last week, get some clarification. And this is a two-part uh, blame thing. The UFC is to blame here for not going to the commentary team and letting them know, hey, here's what's happened. Here what ha here's what's happened. And here's how the ruling comes down. And these are the situations where an illegal knee or an illegal strike of any kind can end a fight and what will happen. Instead, we just got a massive confusion. Uh, to, and this was something that Josh Thompson and John McCarthy pointed out in their podcast weighing in. You have a two-division former champ in Cormier and a former middleweight champ in Bisping, and neither of them knows the rules or what's going to happen. And that is something that should not happen with the commentary team. The UFC should have helped these guys figure it out. These guys should have also tried to get the information ahead of time and do a little prep. Now you know that you know it doesn't happen often, but you can have this in your little notebook maybe in front of you. Here are the rules. Here's the possible outcomes. 
Instead, we just get confusion and bumbling, and it was a bad look for the UFC. It was a bad look for Bisping. It was a terrible look for Cormier because now this is two weeks in a row where he just looked clueless as to the rules of the sport that he is commentating on. And again, between the two of them, three UFC titles. Uh, Mateus Nikolai and Emmanuel Cape. Cape is a good fighter, and he lost this one. And I don't know how much leeway the UFC is going to give him, but he still seems to be adjusting to things. He seems to have a problem with not keeping up a pace and not realizing that you can lose a fight by a low output. And I don't know what is going on here, but he looked he looked better in this fight than in his UFC debut, but he still lost. And I don't know how much time the UFC is going to give him to make this adjustment to the UFC and the way it's, things are scored in the UFC and how the the fighting in the cages. It's it's frustrating because you can see that he is talented. You can see he could do something in the UFC. But there's just something there that's keeping him from getting to that next level. I don't know what it is. But I don't know if he's going to get another chance. I think he should. Because there's just something missing. And I don't know what it is. It's if it, coaching? Is it a, a mental block of some kind for him that he just can't seem to get things right? I'd give him one more chance to get things sorted. And uh, if he loses his a third in a row, then uh, the experiment should end, I think. But I'd give him a definitely give him another chance because he has the talent. He just doesn't seem to be able to put all the pieces in the right spots at the right times. And uh, maybe it's just taking him longer to adjust to the UFC than, than some other fighters. But that adjustment, it, it needs to come in the third fight or I don't think he's ever going to get it. So we'll see what happens there. Davey Grant and Jonathan Martinez. What I liked about Grant here is when he got knocked down in the late in the in the first round he didn't let him let it let it bother him he kind of looked at his corner or I don't know who exactly he was looking at but he looked kind of like well that was that shouldn't have happened and he looked upset with himself a little bit and then he came out in the second round and put it to Martinez so um, he adjusted he Looked like he just got caught with that ta- with that knockdown and shook it off. And by the way he came out in the second round, there was no way he was going to let that happen again. Maybe he just, you know, took it easy for a second and that's what cost him that knockdown. But he definitely made adjustments between the second and third and got that knockout, I think, his second in a row. So good fight from Davey Grant. Good adjustment. Didn't let that knockdown bother him at all and just came back with a much better second round than first round. Dan Ige and Gavin Tucker, I thought this fight was going to be kind of a sleeper fight, and it was not. Ige went out there and blasted Tucker, just knocked him out, and no question asked. Ige deserved the uh, bonus here for his 50 50 grand for that 22-second knockout. The thing that bothered me about this fight was while the UFC commentary team should have been talking about EA's knockout. They were arguing over how fast the, the, the knockout took. And they were saying that it was under, under five seconds when it turned out it was 22 seconds. So I don't even know what 
these guys were watching for the first 20 seconds about of that fight, but it wasn't the fight. So the whole argument between Bisping and Cormier during this was upsetting because it was Dan Ige's moment and it got taken away because of Cormier and Bisping just arguing over, you know, how long the fight took. It was an unnecessary argument, especially being so wrong. And it took a lot from uh, from the, the smoke that uh, Ige should have gotten for that great knockout. And let me talk here a little bit about Cormier and Bisping and Cormier and Rogan. We're hearing a lot of discussions about Rogan getting just not being good, a uh, good commentator. And I agree, he's kind of checked out. He's definitely not as interested in, in what he's doing as he had been in the past. He's definitely not researching things in depth or even at all. It just kind of feels to me that he's coming in and you know grabbing his notes that the UFC has given him for the event, sitting down, and then doing his job, going home, and waiting for the next pay-per-view card, which some people like that. I don't, but... It doesn't help that he has Cormier in on his team so um, recently, and we saw it on Saturday as well. I think Cormier takes away from anyone he's working with, and this isn't a shot at. Well, it is a shot at Cormier's commentary, but it's not a shot at Cormier the person. Cormier's attitude is relaxed. He's a, got a good sense of humor. He likes to joke around. He likes to have fun. Nothing wrong with that. He's it's, That kind of personality is very well suited for kind of in-between fights, uh, in-studio, podcasting, but it's not suited for commentary where we're looking for you know in-depth looks at and descriptions and here's what happened, ABC. And when the joking overtakes that well then then you're taking away from the fight but more more egregious is that you're taking away from the fighters and this was a perfect example of that Danny Gay should have been the focus of that post fight commentary Danny Gay's knockout what what Danny Gay did how Danny Gay looked his future all that who he could fight where he's headed you know a story about Danny Gay I mean story about his wife being close to giving birth that could have been mentioned and and pressures in camp things like that instead we got Cormier arguing about the time and I think that brought down the commentary it definitely took away from Ige's win and uh, it took it took some stuff some of the steam off Bisping too because there were times during the fight where Bisping actually said he had to bring it back in and he did unnecessary so Maybe it's time to transfer Cormier in, out of the commentary team and onto the desk. I don't know. But I don't think his personality is suited for commentary. Uh, it's suited for a lot of other things. He's got a great personality. He likes to have fun. He makes things easy and light. Uh, but I just don't think it's commentary. That is his best spot. But I wouldn't. I, I would keep him in some way for sure because he's good for the the shows, but I just don't think his commentary is up to snuff. But my opinion, you can take that or leave it. And 
thought I'd offer it because, you know, it's my podcast. Ryan Span, Misha Serkinov. Span knocked Serkinov down early, and this was a good move. His coaches told him to back off and let Serkinov up. He did so, got the knockout in, in 71 seconds. And I think what uh, Span said in is that in the past, this might not have happened. He might have gone to the ground, and who knows what would have happened then. Instead, his team said, back up, let him up. Fight on the feet where you have the advantage. He did so. Got the impressive win. Uh, got a bonus. Moves on. And he wants a fighter in the top, definitely in the top 10 in his next bout, which after that one, it's it's kind of hard to deny him that. But he looked very, very good uh, in that fight. Leon Edwards and Bilal Muhammad. The eye poke was unfortunate. I think this fight needs to be run back. And why... I think that is because the eye poke ended the fight 18 seconds into the second round. Yes, Edwards was ahead. But this is a five-round fight. Both of these guys have the ability to go the distance, and they go to the, they go the distance more often than not. So you want to see what each of them can do in that 25 minutes, especially Edwards if you're going to give him a title shot. So I know Edwards thinks he should be able to move on and get a title shot. I don't know what the UFC thinks. I think the UFC is going to be reluctant to do so because the UFC has done Edwards no favors in the past. I don't think they're going to do him a favor in this uh, in this result from this fight because they said he had to look impressive. And he looked impressive, but it was a five minutes, not a 25 minutes. So uh, another reason I think that they should run it back for Muhammad is that Muhammad stepped up and took the fight on short notice when no one else would. And he lost his chance to show what he could do. Like I said, Edwards was ahead. But, and this is a big but, there were still four more rounds to go. Anything can happen. Anything can happen. Muhammad's a tough, tough fighter. So is Edwards. And like I said, they tend to go the distance. So you had a lot of time for things to change around. A lot of time. Would they have? We don't know. Should we get the chance to figure it out? Yeah. Um, and, you know, you can run it back as soon as Muhammad's eye is, is good to go. He said there was no permanent damage, so it's just going to be a matter of that eye uh, getting better and his sight returning to its, its previous uh, levels. And once that happens, you rebook this fight, run it back, and then see what that, what happens. I didn't like the way Edwards handled it afterwards. He was... You know, I admire his candor, but he kind of just dismissed Muhammad and said that he wanted and deserved the the title fight. I don't know if that's going to happen. I seriously doubt it just because of how long Edwards has waited and the way the UFC did Edwards when he did not want the uh, Chimaya fight. They did him dirty then. It's hard to believe that they're going to give him a title fight off of this, which was a, a no contest. and. I mean, Edwards was counting it as a win, but you can't count a fight as a win when it only went um, a little more than five minutes. And you and your opponent both have a history of going the distance in your fights. So I would like to see it run back. Um, the part about the gloves and all that, I I don't really know. I would like to see the gloves change, yeah. But more than the gloves changing, I would like to see the fouls called. We all know that extending the fingers is a foul. We hear warnings for it. 
we rarely see points taken. And this was in Mark Romandi's story, I think he posted it a few years ago, where John McCarthy said, if you want to change it, start calling the fouls. So every time there's a poke from extended fingers or there's, I mean, if you really want to be strict, every time there's extended fingers, you take a point. It will change the way people fight. Is it, is it shitty to have to do that? Yeah, it is. But the rules are the rules. And until you start enforcing the rules, every fighter, well, not every fighter, but most fighters are going to test your limits. And that's why we see fighters grab the cage. That's why we see fighters do things that are blatantly illegal because they know unless it's just egregious and hard to avoid or ignore, they are going to get multiple warnings for these things. Multiple. But if you change that and say, all right, from here on, we're going to let you know, we are going to call this foul a foul from the start. The fighters might not believe you when you say that. But if once you start calling it, the uh, things will change. Or people are going to start losing. And you know who to blame? The fighters, because they were told the fouls are going to be called by the book. So I would run this back. But more importantly, the discussion needs to be had. Why aren't the rules being enforced? Because they're there. The rules are the rules. Extend hands, illegal. So enforce it. Enforce it and the behavior will change. Hand out multiple warnings and you're going to keep getting fouls that aren't called. And you're just going to, that doesn't fix anything. All it does is extend the, the rule breaking. So enforce the rules. That should be number one. Look at the gloves should be number two. We'll see what happens. My bet is on nothing. And I'm going to wrap it up. And, and I will be back tomorrow. So until then, everyone stay safe.